the many exoduses of kashmir and the seventh exodus 1989-90 is the one which is vivid in our memory many of us remember that it has happened in our lifetime and now there's a movie made on that so that's a good beginning and i have three very eminent gentlemen of ours vibhuti jha of course you know all of you he has watched this movie called the kashmir files pandit satish sharma ji he is frequently coming to jaipur dialogues and all of you are familiar with him based out of london and he is going to watch the movie next week immediately after the launch and of course we have rakesh kaul ji his detailed introduction will be given by vibhuti ji but he's also been closely associated with this movie so before we move further please subscribe please like and also please go to the description to support us and to follow us Namaste to all viewers and welcome Pandit Satish Sharma ji, Rakesh Kaul ji and Vibhuti ji as always on the Wednesday 10 p.m. show. Namaskar ji. Let, let, let me begin with Pandit ji. Pandit ji, we talk about the seventh exodus and uh, I always say the seventh exodus, though of course a lot of people uh, like to put it as uh, the uh, KP genocide or the Kashmiri Hindu genocide as if this was the only genocide uh, because we have a long history of genocide as uh, Will Durant put it, something like 80 million Hindus killed over the millennium. So this seventh exodus actually encapsulates and kind of gives us a complete idea of how things were in those 800 1000 years when all of us collectively suffered that trauma and worse than that was that the entire history of that trauma that millennium long trauma was whitewashed and the same thing happened with this seventh exodus as well so my question to you is that uh, this is a very good thing to happen that this movie has been made so please tell me your perspective of how you view the making of this movie thank you very much uh, sandeji and uh, my namaskar to the viewers and also to the uh, learned guests who are with us today. This is a, a seminal moment. This is a very important moment. You know, one of the most important things that we have not been able to do and been denied the opportunity to do is to speak our truth. We have tried in other people's platforms and those platforms have by and large been denied to us. Um, cancelled even before we managed to get access to those platforms. So one thing which this movie does is it creates its own platform. 
And this, I think, is a wonderful development. Bollywood didn't produce this movie. Hollywood didn't produce this movie. No other established um, film um, production center has produced this movie. And that is not just by accident, that's very much by design. So Vivekji and his team have really pushed the boundary out to establish our own platform to be able to tell this story. So that's the first thing. Um, and I'm delighted to hear the news from the court in uh, Bharat that uh, the attempts to de-platform this movie have failed and it is going to be published, distributed, seen widely um, as planned. So that's, that's a wonderful development. One thing a platform gives to us is also the capacity to change the vocabulary. The vocabulary and the dialogue has also been controlled by other people. You know, there are people who still refer to this as an exodus. And an exodus is such an ambiguous statement. It makes it possible to interpret it as a group of people voluntarily leaving. It introduces that whole gray area and it deprives us of the right to compassion once the true story has been told and the right terms have been used. So it wasn't an exodus. It was much, much more. In fact, the only thing that I can think of, and even that's inadequate, is that it was an ethnic cleansing. It was an attempt to purge, to commit ethnocide, to eradicate all trace of the existence of that civilization from their ancestral homeland. There isn't even a word for it because cleansing itself is a positive word, isn't it? When we go and do Gangashnan, we go to be cleansed, right? To feel um, as though we've been purged of something that was a, a, a negative. And so even ethnic cleansing deprives us of the legitimate right to be able to say this was a, a transgression against human rights. But this is a, a phenomenal development. And, and I think it will give us the opportunity now to use our own platforms and to demonstrate what our own platforms can do, what we can do when we are on those platforms, when we control the vocabulary, when we control the language, when we can actually make sure that the stark truth in its harshest, harshest, harshest depictions can be shared with people who need to know. There is a global audience who needs to know the reality of what happened in Kashmir. Even though a global audience has been speaking about it, they have only been speaking out about it with one side, one perception. And now we can change that. So I think this is going to be one of those pivotal moments when in generations to come, we will look back and note that there was a paradigm shift which was created by this movie appearing and being made globally available. Okay, and before I go to Rakesh Kalji and ask him the same question, I would request Vibhuti Jato, please. Uh, introduce Rakesh Ji to the audience. Oh, what a what a privilege, what an honor, what a privilege and an honor to be introducing my dear friend Rakesh Ji on this Jaipur Dialogue, your first foray here. Rakesh Ji is a IIT Delhi alumni, uh, a very leading professional. He has been CEO of a few companies here, but more importantly, I call him a I call him a very versatile man because he's also an author, writer, and he has written two books on Kashmir. One of them is The Last Queen of Kashmir, and the second one is Dawn, The Warrior Princess of Kashmir, which he gifted me, and we talked about it in my U.S. show. So if there is anybody I know personally who has been deeply involved in the entire Kashmir story as a Kashmiri pundit that he himself is, 
it has been very enlightening to hear his thoughts and the entire narrative of the genocide that you talked about of not only 1989, but the historical previous six as well. So I'm not surprised. I know the story of the fact that Rakesh ji told me that Vivek ji and Pallavi spent time at his house. And, uh, you know, they, the, the entire thing happened right here in my neighborhood of New Jersey and Rakesh ji's place. So Rakesh ji, it's a great delight to welcome you to Jaipur Dialogues. And, uh, you know, I, I, this, this today's show is not for me to talk. We have talked enough. Is for Rakesh ji to listen to the viewers, to listen to the story, the genocide, how the government suppressed it all, as we say it in our narrative. I've seen the movie. I had the privilege of seeing the first ever screening done anywhere in the yes, world. Yes, we will, we, will, we will come to that later. Right. So, uh, Rakesh ji. I, I will be asking your impressions. Sure. Now, Rakesh ji, the same question, the same question. Thank you, Sanjay ji, and for having me uh, and Vibhuti ji for the very warm welcome. Imagine a people who have suffered so much over 700 years that before they would eat their meal, they would certainly set aside a little bit of food for the animals. That was required of all Hindus and the Kashmiri Pandits maintain that tradition to this day. But the Kashmiri Pandits also had another tradition that before they could take the first morsel, they would say a prayer in Sanskrit with the concluding plea to the goddess, may our life be free of terror. That was the biggest humble request we asked the divine in the valley. May our life be free of terror. We have worked with Vivek Agnihotriji and Pallaviji On this movie, we have supported them unconditionally. And there are a few aspects that I want to provide as context. The first, I want to pick up on the comment that was made earlier, that this movie is an important movie for India and Indians. I would submit it is much more than that. And the reason is this. When India was born, we did not define India as a civilization. We didn't define it as a constitution. We didn't define it as a state. We didn't define it as a nationalism or secularism or any of these terms. We went back all the way to Emperor Ashoka's time. We took the emblem of the four lions and underneath that emblem 
विशेष सत्यमेव जयते दैट इज द एम्ब्लम ऑफ द स्टेट ऑफ इंडिया बट इट डजेंट स्टॉप देयर इट इज आल्सो द एम्ब्लम ऑफ द सुप्रीम कोर्ट ऑफ इंडिया एंड द एम्ब्लम ऑफ आवर फॉरमोस्ट investigation agency but notwithstanding the emblem of the might and power and glory of india it failed the kashmiri pandits in every which way and so for the first time thanks to the effort of vivek agnihotri and pallavi and the team and my community which supported them unconditionally it is the day of march 11th is the day of satyameev jayate and i want to make one more comment because then of course we will get into the details when we talk about continuous genocide I'll make two comments on that. The first aspect of that continuous genocide is what was in it for them. And I will reveal to you something that is not shared. in 1990 the land the homes that were the genocide windfall profit today has a market value of 26 billion us dollars the scam land to tiller act in 1950 the market value of that land today is around 47 billion us dollars so at its most basic level most fundamental level kashmir is a laboratory case of the longest continuous land jihad that has occurred all the way up to present modern times and the second aspect one of these genocides happened during the reign of the afghans in india i find people overly obsessed with the mogul rule and maybe they should be but we overlook the fact that the afghans have had a very deep footprint in india and i mention them because now they have once again become a factor latians daily proudly goes for walks in lodi ghat strolling 
nodis o pastons. to take Indian treasures and slaves all the way up to Kabul. The Afghans ruled Kashmir. So there's a lot to unpack here, but I know one thing. The Kashmir Files movie is a Brahmastra of truth. It carries with it the Pran Shakti of 1,646 of my family, my community. If in the movie you see one person killed, then you should feel the pain of the 1,640 plus who were killed in the orgy of the 1990 genocide. And if you see one student, refugee, in a university in that movie. Think of the pain of the 500,000 members of my community who were turned refugees. But Satyamev Jayate, we will win. We may be woodpeckers, but we will bring the house of lies crashing down. Be assured of that. Right. Okay, Vibhutiji, you watched the movie. So what were your impressions of watching the movie? So can you recount your impressions to the audience? A few things which are very, I, I definitely will. And a couple of things that stood out for me. I mean, pe people like us, I mean, here on this platform, are I, I proudly say that we know a little bit more than average. So I knew a little bit about the Kashmir issue. Uh, and I have said this before, the first gunshot in 1989 that happened was I was there in Kashmir Valley for our com conference. But the point of the matter is that when I saw the movie, what struck me the most important element of that is, I don't want to break this, is the, is the, is the, is the speech which the conversation that happens in the assembly where the lies are broken down one by one by one. And how the brainwashed community of India today, that we, are, we all talk about it, it's disgusting how each one of the bogus narrative has been broken down. Cinematically speaking, you might say somebody said, oh, thora speech was long, but no, it wasn't. It was essentially required. Because the today, you know, tomorrow we, we may or may not be there, but today's youth must know the truth. And as we say always at the end of the uh, end of the show, Satyameva Jayate is critical requirement for us Hindus and Indians to believe that the truth must prevail. So the movie is very poignant in terms of pointing out how the political compulsions face brought about certain compromise in decision-making, how killings and murders were eulogized, how politicians were using the people and the moment for their own gain, how people's hands were tied to not to take action. And none of this was told to anyone. Even press was muzzled. I wouldn't say muzzled. They were 
kind of persuaded and forced to stay quiet. This is the truth that must come out. And that's what we I, I felt very, very remarkably touched in the movie, that so much was happening and so little we knew outside of Kashmir Valley. I recall a conversation with a Malayali friend of mine when he said, Jane do Kashmir ko kya farak padta hai? And I said to him that I would rather lose Kerala than I lose Kashmir. Because I said, if in the map of India, if I lose a little bit of a toe of mine, I said, with due respect, I don't, I'm not worried. But Kashmir is literally Saraswati Nivas. That's where all the education, the history, tradition comes in. I mean, you, we don't need to know that. We know it. In the map of India, interestingly enough, it is the head of India. Sar hai hamara, dimag hai hamara, mastisk hai hamara. Kashmir is critical. And, and I get very angry about this matter because 1990, I was in Delhi. The media muzzlement, I understood it so well because living in Delhi, I had no clue that so many people were pouring in as refugees. It was made to feel this was the sad part. That's what angers me a lot. That's where I say the media has to come out true, truthfully. And today we are in a technology-driven world. Think about it. New Jersey, New York, London, and Delhi are today on a similar platform. You can't hide the truth anymore. You can't run away from the facts anymore. And that will be shared, known, and told to people in as many times, as many in as many words. Today, this particular show has, I have put it on other social media. Getter is one of them. I have put it there. People will watch, whether we like it or not. People want to know, particularly, and I said this, to, on the day when a million refugees spilled from Ukraine to Poland and other places, and I said, nobody, everybody is talking about a European local drama as our sad, but nobody talked about our sad story. Centuries of this thing. Our own media bankrupted us in this matter. Took the, uh, took the entire truth away from us. And we are the land of, as Rakeshji very rightly pointed out, Satyameva Jayate. Where was the tiger of ours? Where was the tiger of our country that did not rise even when the Satyameva was being demolished? So I will not say more. This is the moment I want people to share. But the movie is touching. I'm not surprised that some of the vested group of people wanted to stall it because their sentiments will be hurt. And that, I, you know, I want to use the American slang, bloody hell. What about my sentiments, damn it? <laughs> to use the Yankee slang here. sentiment Our sentiment also needs to be known, seen, felt, and heard. And that's, this movie conveys it very powerfully. Well, I go even further. <laughs> I Take said, it so further. Such, such sentiments actually need to be heard. Yes. And uh, that is why I, you, you've seen that I'm quite forthright about it. And uh, I once again uh, go to Panditji. And uh, my question is, and again, this is a common question to all the panelists that will follow. And that is that uh, this movie actually puts a spotlight on <coughs> one facet of our history, which has recurred again and again and again. It has recurred seven times in Kashmir. 
and it is recurred so many times in other parts of the country it may be recurring right now in places like west bengal and uh, all of this i think uh, probably this movie has become a pioneering effort to inspire many more people to bring out all that has been whitewashed especially especially i say in the post 1947 india i don't call it post independence india because i don't think that we have achieved our independence yet our minds are completely colonized even today and uh, that is one of the foremost reasons why we continue to look at indian history look at indian concerns from the western lens so how do you think we should go about it uh, firstly i'd just like to pay tribute to rakesh ji and his community and family for preserving and denying the barbarians the the main target of their, of their expeditions remember barbarians they hate refined scholarly people it reminds them it shows them a mirror of what they truly are and being barbaric they find it very difficult to to refute it makes a dharm sankat which cannot be overcome and so a barbarian's response is to destroy it to erase it to eradicate it so that they are no longer revealed to themselves as being barbarians now when the barbarians started their purges of beauty and of refinement in the kashmir valley the residents had two choices they had one choice which was clearly declared to them which means convert and to convert would mean to incinerate to remove from consciousness thousands of years millennia of seeking the secrets to this thing called existence where are we what is it about how does it work the most disciplined the most tyag driven people the most refined intellects dived in to themselves and into the universe to get these answers and the demand was abandon it all and convert to something which is far less beautiful and far less refined that was one choice the other choice was to abandon the ancestral home of their ancestors and their civilization and take this knowledge this vidya this civilizational intellectual property this incredible storehouse of wisdom and take that in their bodies in their minds in their words in their language in their procedures processes rituals and everything else and flee purely and solely recognizing that they were the last repository of this vidya and to do that and to do it in a manner where you also deny the barbarian his other objective barbarians understand other barbarians and so if they had been able to diminish the kashmiri hindus standards and to reduce them into angry violent vicious radicalized people then that objective would also have been served and yet the kashmiri pandits community have never allowed themselves to lower the values and the way in which they exist and the way in which they conduct themselves despite everything that happened so we do need to bow in front of their sacrifice and acknowledge it for what it is because it is 
a gift to humanity. The knowledge that they have carried with them and preserved and um, make available to us is a gift to humanity. It's one of the, the, the most valuable treasures that we have as human beings. Having said that, this film is going to do two things. When a person commits an atrocity in this manner, when these groups commit these atrocities in this manner, it's a toolkit of two parts, isn't it? One is to perpetrate an act of violence. Second is to run around and claim victimhood. An appeal to the compassion of people who don't know what's really been going on and to try and get their support. So there are the two aspects of it. One is to create the victim, and second is to shame the victim to such a degree that people who are not familiar with the conflict would actually deny the victim the right of justice. So there are two guilty parties in this. There are the guilty party are the perpetrators and those who have trained them and taught them and radicalized them and directed them. They're the guilty party. But equally, this film now requires everybody who gave support to them everybody who supported them politically, economically, or even by denying the Kashmiri Hindus an opportunity for a hearing, now have a choice to make. This choice will place them in a dharamsankat. They will be required to account to their own conscience. What we did was wrong. Here is the evidence played out in front of us. What are we now going to do about it? And that is the crux of the matter. Um, I'll use an example here in the United Kingdom. We have a Labour Party and the Labour Party has continuously said that we want um, uh, Kashmiri, um, we want peace in the Kashmir Valley. Right? We want to see um, its status preserved, etc. All of the sophistry that can be um, leveraged has been used by these people. In essence, what they say is they want the Kashmir Valley to retain its identity as it is and completely ignore the past. This film will require them to confront the past. And in confronting the past, either they will find that their compassion was actually weaponized by a malicious deceitful party, a malicious deceitful group, and they therefore should really feel doubly offended. They also became victims of this deceit they will have that choice. We will make sure that they um, perhaps consider that choice. And so I think the, the knock-on effect of this is going to be extraordinary. We have seen in recent times how the whole reporting of the Godra incident has now suddenly been sanitized and it's been recognized, well, actually, maybe what we said happened didn't really happen. So Godra has been overturned in the mind of the public now. People recognize that that wasn't um, the true account. In the same way, I think that this film is going to put, uh, put us on the journey to recognizing that the accounts of Kashmir that have been told were equally deceitful and duplicitous and that the reality is something completely different. So if we have the passion, the determination, the drive and the discipline that Rakeshji and his uh, family and community have shown, we should be able to demand accountability now on the basis of this irrefutable evidence and demand accountability, not just accountability, but to demand some sort of restitution. Those who for such a long period of time denied the Hindu community of Kashmir justice, it's not enough for them now to say, well, yes, okay, we didn't know at the time. 
they have to take the next step, and that is to make sure that reparations follow recognition. And there I think the work will begin. So this, I see this film now as a domino. It's the first of many dominoes. It's set tumbling, and I think what it will do is empower everybody to pick this story up and to demand justice, even at this late stage. It will come, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, Rakesh ji, the same question to you. Do you think this is going to be a pioneering effort in uncovering hundreds and thousands of atrocities that have taken place all across India, including the uh, six preceding ones in Kashmir? And of course, those six were the more brutal ones all along. I think uh, all through uh, these starting 14th century, it's been almost every year the same story. Yeah, I'll address that uh, because it's a very, very profound question. I first want to record my deep appreciation for Pandit Sharma's kind comments. Uh, those are the words of Illuminati like him that have inspired us. I salute you, sir, for giving us that moral strength. So you're absolutely right. And I would call this movement the before movement and the after movement. Now, what is the before movement? Before movement, I want to take you to a movie called Haider, where Indians joyfully handed over 1,000 crore rupees to watch the grand finale scene where a Turkoman victory devil dance was done in front of the Holy Sun Temple of Martin in Kashmir. Right. I Either. want to take you to a media event hosted by one of the leading media houses in India where a murderer terrorist was brought on the stage and given the title of a Gandhi, a modern day Gandhi. Thankfully, Modi government has thrown him in jail. And I hope the wheels of justice move on that front. He murdered Indian Air Force men. Where'd he get a bus stop, he and his people? So, what has happened here? What has happened here, history will record, is that the popular narratives coming out of our film world, who I would call the pelvic grana dominated industry, is now going to find that Indians have matured, that Indians want authenticity. And the wonder of wonders in this movie is that for the first time, we have a hero and a teacher 
who has gone mad in his agony. This is no Hamlet either. This is Anupam Kher who has gone mad in his agony that he has lost everything. Who has to watch the horror of what is being done to his daughter. But Anupam Kher is a hero because even in his madness, the goddess gives him the strength to be the truth keeper. And when the Indian audience, as was seen in the Ashwamed tour of that movie launch in America, responded to it, this is a wake-up call for all of our narrators who so far have manufactured saccharine stories. But it's also a wake-up call for all of us. As Pandit Sharmaji said, Kashmir was, and I have said this often, Kashmir Valley was to the first millennium what Silicon Valley is to the second millennium. With one difference. The technology of Silicon Valley becomes obsolete by the next big thing. But the technology of Kashmir Valley will never become obsolete because it's a technology designed to give you complete fulfillment and liberation while alive, to maximize your human potential, to give you a way of life of peace, knowledge, freedom, swatantraya, liberation as opposed to subjugation. So it's no surprise when Aurangzeb went to his Malvis and asked the question, what is the problem? Wherever we have come in the world, we have eliminated the indigenous society. Why is it there are still Hindus in India? And they said, the Hindus in India look up to Kashi and Kashi looks up to Kashmir. So you have to eliminate the Kashmiri pundits. And you know what happened there with the supreme sacrifice of Guru Tegh Bahadur, who stepped up. So we have to step up. We have to be authentic to our stories. And I do agree with you. This is just the beginning. Now you will see a thousand such stories will come out because they know that they are not living in the world of what I, in my review, call the Kashmir Matrix. For all viewers who have watched the Matrix movies, you know in the movie, everybody was supposed to take a blue pill. Blue pill was what kept you in your state of ignorance. And all arms of the Indian state, whether media, whether judiciary, whether uh, politicians or any investigative agency, to date, not one case has been filed against a murderer and we have lost 1,646 lives to terrorists. This complete rotten ecosystem was the ultimate blue pill being served on Indians. And the Kashmir files is the first red pill. The red pill in the Matrix movie revealed knowledge, revealed the truth. 
That's what we're going through. We're going through a matrix movement where Indians will get liberated and discover the truth of who they are, what they are, and they will not settle for anything less. The blue pill, I think, very, very apt, uh, Vibhuti ji. But the problem is that the ideology that informed this entire genocide, which I have been talking about, and which uh, uh, this seventh exodus actually was uh, one end of this long genocide that's uh, taken place. And uh, you still see this in fits and starts here and there. The evidence of that is quite obvious. You saw that in West Bengal recently. And uh, this is my question, uh, of course, uh, the same question, a little clarified, or uh, I should say a little nuanced. And that is that uh, the blue pill that uh, Rakesh Ji referred to, and we have the red pill of knowledge, but we know that in the Abrahamic system, uh, which is actually responsible for this entire genocide over a millennium, the red pill of knowledge uh, is forbidden. And you know what happens if uh, Adam eats the fruit of knowledge, he's thrown out. You're not supposed to eat the fruit of knowledge. It's that ideology that does it. And uh, you think that the next logical step should be to question that ideology, to flag that ideology, to flag that dogma? The incontrovertible answer is very is one word, emphatic yes. And uh, you know, I would urge all of you here, those who are watching, and uh, Rakesh ji and Pandit ji as well, that uh, you and I, Sanjay ji, we did a very solid one hour plus time in trying to do the purva paksh. What is a beautiful Sanskrit word, purva paksh? You have to know who you are dealing with in my rustic language, in my, uh, you know, more uh, kind of a modern definition of things, you got to know the nature of the beast you are dealing with. And that's what is important. We have to do that. And, uh, you know, I don't want to talk much today because we have had many, many more conversations and we will have many more conversations. As everybody said, it is the beginning. And for me, it is a especially joyous moment in a sense that Swami Vivekanandji's call of arise, awaken, and assert. Hindus have to do that. Indians have to do that. Arise, awaken, and assert. This is one such moment. If abhi khuli, to fir kab khulengi? And to which I have added my fourth A, which you are familiar with, Sanjayji, is act. This movie is a culmination of that. Arise, awaken, assert, and act. This is the movie that now awakens everybody. Everybody must arise, must assert and act what you got to do. As in America, we always have a saying, a man has got to do what he got to do. It's everybody has begin to begin to do that. So I cede my time <laughs> to Rakeshji and Panditji for their wise ones. I'm the warrior, uh, you know, as a Rakeshji's second book is uh, about Princess Warrior, Princess of Kashmir. I would urge people to read the book. I read it and it took me time uh, because of whatever. But these are fabulous storytelling. It's, 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 it's an amazing that I told Rakesh Ji that he's, in, he's a very 
dangerous guy, an engineer who is also an author. So, so his engineering, you have, can see the engineering of the Kashmir story play out so well. So I would stop here, Sanjayji, and I would say, Rakeshji, if you want to add something more, how the next step will be taken. Now, it requires preparation. I'm a strategy. I will, I'll, I'll go to Panditji first because... Yes, yes. I'm, I'm going, my my yes. question as a person today would be, how do we, if the journey is beginning, if this is the start, we need to prepare the strategy, the blueprint, because our enemy is out to destroy us. Using our instruments, using our knowledge base, using our procedures. How do we do uh, Okay, let, let, let me go to uh, Pandiji. Uh, Pandiji, that uh, same question uh, I'll ask in a different way. In the sense that uh, I have seen that over a thousand years, except for uh, a brief interregnum, in which a little bit of Purva Paksha was done by Swami Dayanand, we have singularly failed to discuss and dissect the Abrahamic system, the Abrahamic ecosystem, and the Abrahamic tactics and strategies. So much so that I'll give you a modern example is that the entire strategy and the entire outlook of the Pakistani nation is given in an establishment book. It is called the Quranic concept of war which is not taught in our military academies because uh, it might offend some people even though they are they, they are not worried about their of they, they offending your sensibilities and uh, i think one singular failure that we have had that we forgot to do the purva paksha and that is why something as obvious as i think uh, I've repeated it quite often in my dialogues, other dialogues. There are two or three simple propositions which form the bedrock and fundamentals of the Abrahamic system. If you take the example of the Quran, there is a verse in the second chapter, 254th verse, which says that the unbeliever is the oppressor. And then he says that why he is the oppressor? He is the oppressor because he is fighting the creed that has been revealed through the messenger by God. And anybody who opposes that, anybody who refuses to accept that is the oppressor. And it is their fundamental duty to suppress and finish this oppression. The concept of justice, concept of oppression is completely opposed to what you have in the modern Western parlance and what you always had in the ancient Indian consciousness. At this simple fact, we have not taught our people over the millennium, millennium and that is probably the cause of our grief. So you think the time has come that at least these fundamentals be taught and at least people be told that if you cause oppression in the Islamic sense, then the punishment is given that your uh, hand and feet from the opposite sides need to be cut off because then it is construed that you're actually fighting the Abrahamic God. And this is the, an invitation. Your question is an invitation to what could be a session in its own right. 
there are so many beautiful thoughts which spread out from that question. I'm going to try and confine myself to one or two, which I think are, are pertinent. The, the notion of a, a just war, a righteous war. The, the Mahabharat has this Bhagavad Gita in it, which is everything you need to know about a righteous war. It explains in detail what is what the criteria for a dharm yud are, and it also identifies a dharma step by step. So there should be no misconception there. The understanding of when a person needs to defend the physical dimension, because the intellectual dimension and the emotional dimension have been lost to us, is also very clearly explained and elaborated upon. The Atharved has got beautiful sections on it as well. So there is no there is no doubt that we have the Vidya which is necessary for this time and for this juncture. I'm very much um, taken by Rakeshji's blue pill, red pill um, suggestion. And um, he's absolutely right. In fact, this will be a red pill, if I can just uh, comment on that, for so many people. Um, myself, my small team, we have already sent invitations to the Labour Party members and asked them to join us to view this particular film. And once they have either denied the opportunity or accepted the opportunity, they will have to come to some sort of a conclusion. It's a red pill moment for them. I think our capacity to leverage this red pill is what will determine what the success and the outcome is. Now, turning to the notion of these Abrahamic scriptures. You know, these Abrahamic scriptures, they function with a framework. And the framework itself is deeply flawed. If we buy into the framework, then we are stuck within the parameters of that framework. It's almost like a, a killing ground for the intellect. It's a killing ground for seekers. And the only way in which we can um, help heal humanity is to help dismantle the very framework. Now, I will use, um, the, uh, there is a, a wonderful um, shloka in the Bible, and I use that term deliberately, um, in which it uh, basically says that a, a, a tree is known by its fruit, that a poisonous tree, a poisoned tree cannot produce good fruit, and good fruit cannot come from a poisoned tree. So if you have a look at what these scriptures produce, what the Bible produces, it's poisonous fruit. No, we've just had this announcement of, that over a million children have been abused in Italy and that the Church of Rome has concealed that. That's poisonous fruit. <clears throat> now, where is the justification that the being who would allow that to continue as part of his grand design for the body of his son, Christ, it's insane. It is something that the human form cannot rationalize and still be comfortable with. We are moving into a place where people are beginning to see the framework for what it really is. That it's a framework for enslaving people. That the game that has been played by the missionaries and indeed these things, these, these people called clerics, is nothing other than enslavement of humanity. And humanity cannot be enslaved for so long without rebelling against it. It's within our nature. Now, with regard to the, the dharmic um, offering, we have to present an alternative because people don't know what they don't know. And unless we can bring it to their attention that actually there's something which is a lot more um, human 
a lot more divine, a lot more tranquil, a lot more harmonious, a lot more fulfilling, a lot more radiant. You know, it will bring an end to suffering. How are other people not, how are they going to know that it exists if we don't bring it to their attention? Now, we have got very, very simple uh, understandings, the tattva of our dharmic teachings. You know, in um, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, he talks in his third shloka, he says, the seeker rests in his own essence. Right? That is so simple. All you have to do is to encourage a person to try and strive to rest in their own essence. And the whole Abrahamic framework falls apart. There is nothing that can compare with the simple Mahavakyas that we have, which then start to reveal themselves in the being of a person. So it's our skill in being able to present the alternative, how quickly we can do it, how quickly we can create the platforms where we can articulate and share this understanding and perspective that will determine how quickly the dharmic vision, the harmonious vision, begins to have uh, an even more rapid ascendance and um, dissemination. I'm very confident that it's going to happen. The, um, the mind-numbing conditioning, which had to be reinforced at regular intervals, whether it was inside of a confessional, whether it was inside of going to a place of supposedly religious worship every Sunday or Friday or whatever it is, those are now becoming more and more difficult to... Um, to leverage, to keep um, a dharm, a sat, and a vidya reinforced in the minds of people. Remember, we are creatures who are built to be truthful. We are creatures who are built to be hum um, uh, harmonious, affectionate, loving, friendly, loving particles. And it takes continuous battering and conditioning to make that um, settle and perpetuate it. Um, that is the communications that we have, the power that we have available to us. We have never had such power available to us. And just this, this small little example of this conversation, we're having people scattered across the globe sharing these ideas. There will be people who will perhaps listen to something Rakeshji said, and it will leverage some sort of understanding, something you have said, Vibhutiji, something I may have said. This has never been available to us before. And when you combine Satya with the Vidya of Dharma, the unbelievable treasure house that I refer to of the Kashmir Valley, with the capacity to disseminate in such a straightforward manner, we can undo the harm that has been inflicted upon humanity by avidya and adharma. We can reverse 2,000 years of harm in a matter of decades. It's just a question of everybody coming together and understanding what the vision is, as I've said many times, creating the vocabulary and the concept sets, and it will dissipate once the sunshine, the fog of the early morning mist dissipates in minutes. And this is what we are beginning to see. Before we get to that stage, there will be a pushback. And what is happening with Vivekji, there will be a pushback here in the United Kingdom, there will be a pushback in America, because Adharma knows the forces of Asat and Adharma, they know that this is an existential problem for them. Even if one person survives to carry the vidya that was discovered and refined and purified and then articulated in the Kashmir Valley, that one person represents a threat to the whole kit and caboodle. And the Abrahamic communities, they know this. The clerics, they know this. So there will be pushback. But their, their situation is they are on the wrong side of history. 
they're on the wrong side of creation. They're on the wrong side of satya. And as Rakeshji said, and you have said many times, satya mev jayate. Only that which is real will survive, will prevail. It's just that we have to have the courage to articulate it. Uh, right, Padiji, wonderfully articulated uh, uh, always. And Rakeshji, the framework that uh, Pandiji refers to, I think that frameworks quite naturally leads to Ralev, Shalev, uh, Galev. And uh, that, I think, should be the next step for us to educate our people, don't you think? Uh, definitely, uh, but a lot more. And I will answer your question from three very short examples. One from Swami Dayanandji himself that you mentioned. Two from the court of Emperor Akbar, and three from Kashmir, Jayanta Bhatta. So I often give talks on truth seeking through debating, not in the Western Socratic way, but the Indian way, and how the Indian debating framework was preeminent in finding truth. And Swami Dhanand was an able debater and he would travel and around the country and he would debate. All well and good. But in one debate, the Purvpaksh that Vibhutiji mentioned threw a cobra at him. He crossed from peaceful conversation into an act of violence. Swami Dayananda grabbed the cobra and crushed it. So that was the Swami Dayananda action when confronted with an act of violence. When you cross over into violence, then you have to be crushed. Now the court of Emperor Akbar. Emperor Akbar, let's leave aside every other aspect, but this specific aspect. He used to bring people from all religions and he would have debates amongst them. So this was a question that concerned him also. And what happened? After the debates, the Sunnis started killing the Shias. And the Shias started retaliating. And I, Emperor Akbar, even though officially a Muslim emperor, said a pox on all of you. And then he tried to create his own thing. Of course, you know, it didn't go anywhere. But an emperor, a Muslim emperor said to his faith, a pox on all of you. Then he started something else. Now last I come to Jayanta Bhatta. I mentioned Jayanta Bhatta because it turns out the power of light, the power of truth doesn't stay hidden. In 25 universities around the world, there is a mad race to discipline.
and understand these profound truths about our civilization. Let's spread yoga, Patanjali, Yoga Sutra from Kashmir. Yoga today, 40 million Americans are practicing yoga. It doesn't stay a secret. Jayanta Bhatta is one of the scholars that is being studied with deep interest. He wrote a very interesting book, Much Ado About Religion, where the scholars are studying his framework on tolerance. And without getting into the scholarship, but in terms of relevance to your question, Jayanta Bhatta the, says, the king should only give that much tolerance to a group of people as is the tolerance they are willing to give others around them. So what is its practical implication? And I end on that note. In Kashmir, every Malvi was getting a subsidy from the government in one form or the other, including free firewood during winter for their hammams. We know all of that money was coming from the Indian taxpayer. We have to make a start in Kashmir. You're going to be a religious preacher. You're going to sign a document that says, I will preach my religion, but I will do so. Declaring that all religions are free to coexist with equal respect. Cannot have the state funding people whose mission is to say, like Zakir Naik, kill them, take their women, convert them, burn them. You can't have that continue any longer. This is nonsense. The Indian taxpayer, the Hindu taxpayer has to say, enough is enough. You want to preach religion? You have religious freedom. You want to preach hate? Man, you're done. You're out of work. And what happens that that religion itself is mired in hate? That's their problem. That's their problem. They got to go live with that. Uh, but they can't make their problem our problem. And we can't be funding that activity. So they have to declare, you want to be a religious preacher? Okay. It's got to be sans hate. You got to accept everybody else too, man. Otherwise, you know what? Okay, Rakesh, you, have I think do, have to... you have to do what Badshah did. Badshah's father caused the first genocide of Kashmir. I'm going to end with where you started. He caused the first genocide of Kashmir. He destroyed Kashmir, but then he came, Badshah came into power. He was a very noble man, a noble king. Everybody, even Kashmiri Muslims, look up to him. What was the first thing he did? There was a zealot Malvi who tried to convince Badshah. And you know what Bacha did? Bacha said, out of, you go out, man. And he threw him out of the valley. Put him in exile. Just the way the Indian government did to Zakir Naik. Do a few more of those, you watch. Everybody will straighten out there. 
Uh, okay, Rakesh ji, I think uh, we have to stop at that point because we got so many questions coming up and we got to take those questions. So let's have the questions now. And uh, do please 